But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish, they are taken in an evil net, and like birds, they are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen the example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be preaching this passage and not uh, the passage that I ended up switching with Pastor Todd because I get to preach a relatively happy passage 
um, and we'll see if I can convince you to agree with me that this is really some good news, and uh, we have even more reason uh, for good news as we look beyond Ecclesiastes and uh, outside life under the sun. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us your word. We pray that your spirit will uh, cause that word to bear fruit. We pray that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. We pray that the hearts of your people would be uh, nourished and encouraged and that your spirit would bring uh, much fruit in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we are now uh, very deep into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the refrain seems to uh, beat like a drum, that everything is vain and futile under the sun. Last week, we heard the words, in my vain life, I have seen everything. This is nothing uh, that isn't repeated in the text we have before us. And I've titled this sermon, Ugly Comfort, because we cannot leave the reality that Solomon has presented before us. We have been stewing in this like a crock pot uh, for hours and hours and hours, getting softened uh, to the point where we're about to fall apart. And the teacher won't let this go. When we look at the words of comfort, we should not take this as Solomon saying, you know what, all that stuff I had to say, don't worry, don't worry, just relax, relax, have a beer. Uh, you know, it's not so bad. Uh, I, I, I take back all that stuff I said about death and uh, about everything under the sun being absurd and, uh, and even the wise perishing. Solomon doesn't do that. He doesn't take back what he's said and say, You know, just lighten up, lighten up. It's not so bad. It is that bad. But there is still comfort to be found. Part of wisdom is seeing things as they really are. Part of seeing things as they really are are admitting that the world we live in is not like it should be and that things are absurd under the sun. Now that phrase, under the sun, as Pastor Todd said, is an important phrase. Because we need to recognize that as we look at this, the teacher, who I believe uh, very much to be Solomon, is not speculating or is not teaching us about the life beyond. Uh, And so I don't take um, him to be saying uh, in verses 5 and 6 that some people are going Uh, to eternal punishment and some people to eternal reward. He's saying that from our perspective, everyone goes to the same place. That when you look at the most famous people, the most accomplished people, the most wise, they've already died and been forgotten or they will die and they will be forgotten. And no one will remember uh, what is done uh, here and now. And the next generation might know who we are, but the generation beyond won't remember a thing. And so he sees that as an absurdity. But again, this is a statement about this life, and I don't think he's talking about the next life. We do get very small glimpses at eternity in Ecclesiastes, but only that. 
um, cryptic phrases like, you have set eternity in man's heart. There's something there. The teacher doesn't explain it. He instead continues to talk about this life. And the first lesson that I think we can take from this is that we can't change the world. In verse 2, we see that uh, all things come from the hand of God, and it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. To update his language, we could say that the same thing happens to the pagan that happens to the Christian. The same thing happens to uh, the worst person as the best person. The person who loves Jesus and serves with his whole heart still lives a brief and in many ways absurd life. And the one who is wicked will prosper for a time, but they too are brought low as death finds them as well. The reality of this world is that death overshadows all, that absurdity is present, that we can't plot out our own life. We see this uh, a bit later on uh, as the, the teacher says, the race is not to the swift. This is verse 11. Nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. In other words, at least under the sun, there's no perspective that, that we can take that makes sense of everything. Uh, we look at this world, we look at this life, and we find absurdity. We find that it is fleeting, that it is a breath. And uh, how many of you remember the breath you took way at the beginning when Pastor Todd said, remember this breath? Yeah, which one was that? Uh, I, I remember that analogy. I remember that I took a breath. Can't tell you anything about it. It's gone. Such is our lives under the sun. And as we look at how to react, we have a couple different uh, ways that we can do this wrongly, and then we'll come to the right, right way to react to this vanity, this uh, breath, this absurdity under the sun. One is to ignore reality. Uh, the way to do this is that we close the book of Ecclesiastes. We say, you know, that's kind of a downer. I prefer not to think about these things. Uh, what's on TV? Uh, what are the commercials going to tell me? Oh, great. Pepsi's good. Uh, drink all the Pepsi you can. Life is great. Uh, I need things. Okay. Uh, what can I get? How can these make my life better? Um, and to ignore the fact that uh, death is overshadowing all, to ignore the fact that there's suffering, to ignore the fact that uh, you know, this is my 12th Pepsi today, and I, I don't seem to be feeling any better. Uh, in fact, I seem to be feeling a little jittery, and uh, well, maybe Coke would be a better alternative. That's my problem. Uh, so uh, this would be to ignore reality. And uh, Jesus actually speaks to this in language that is very similar of a rich fool. And I don't have the reference in front of me, but this rich fool says, my life is good. I'm going to store up things in my barns. I'm going to rest on my laurels. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to this person, you fool, 
Your life is demanded of you this very day. It's, it's all going to come to nothing. You're not going to enjoy any of that stuff you, you stored. Um, and we're going to address that later because, well, doesn't that mean Jesus is directly saying that verses 7 uh, and following are, are wrong? Here the teacher's telling us to eat and drink with joy. Well, we'll talk about that soon. But the problem of the rich fool is not that he's taking joy in his possessions. It's that he's casting all his cares on those possessions, that he is making them uh, the thing he lives for and the thing he lives by. He is assuming that he has control and uh, the chief end of his life is to enjoy his possessions and find comfort in them, when in fact, if he was to read Ecclesiastes, can't do that. The world is absurd. Storing up all that stuff, you don't know who's going to enjoy it. Uh, Solomon has said this already, that uh, one king will come and rule well. He doesn't know who's coming up after him. Could be some complete idiot who uh, absolutely undoes every good thing uh, done before. Could be somebody good, somebody better, who makes him forgotten. You just don't know. And so one way to react badly is to ignore reality and just close our eyes, put our fingers in our ears, and uh, ignore that, that there is such a thing as death, that there is such a thing as pain. I will counsel you that this will not end well, as uh, you will eventually stub your toe and uh, something will happen, and you will stumble, and, and then... What then? Uh, Then it's a very hard wake-up call that, oh, wait a minute, there is reality. And our culture does this time and time again as we say, you know, don't think about death. Don't talk about death. Uh, Let's ignore that until until you're on your death's bed uh, when age and illness are completely undeniable And you have to just say, you know what? I don't think you're going to live another 15 years. Uh, Death is here. Um, Then it's a very hard thing to grapple with. Yet so much of our culture is put into ignoring that, ignoring age, ignoring that that any of, of that is there. Now, the other alternative is to say, okay, I see that we live in a hard world. I see that death is a reality. I... I'm going to try to be the first person ever, uh, and with the exception of maybe Elijah and Enoch, uh, and acknowledging that Jesus did rise from the dead. Uh, I'm going to try to beat this. I'm going to beat this thing. Uh, I'm going to bring out the oil of Olay and uh, cake it on, and it is going to make me look younger forever. I am going to take the herbal supplements that will uh, take care of these free radicals, and you know what? When I am 112, I am still going to look 29. And we giggle, but how many commercials promise you this? How many people spend so much time, effort, and money trying to fight what is plain before us that uh, we are mortal? I stood before my... Uh, 
10th grade class, I think it was the 10th graders, you can tell me if I'm wrong, and said to them, uh, as we're looking at the reality of death, uh, if no one's ever told you this, you are going to die one day. I know it's shocking, and so I'll tell that to all of you. Unless Jesus comes back, which we can look forward to, you are all going to die. We hate hearing that. And uh, in most contexts, you say, well, why are you talking that way? Don't talk that way. Let's, it's, the sun's shining outside. Uh, let's go to the beach instead. Let's not uh, dwell on that. And yet, the teacher tells us that. Uh, the cloud of death hangs over us all, and yet we want to fight it. We want to think that uh, by technology or by a rigorous lifestyle, by avoiding uh, red meat that's been uh, charged too much, that we are going to overcome this. And yet, no one has. No one has yet. No one ever will. Uh, that is not a hope that has any kind of rationality. Ecclesiastes is, in a way, a testimony of someone who has tried this. What was his goal? His goal was to seek out pleasure, to seek out wisdom, uh, to seek out love, and see if he could find lasting meaning in this. And his conclusion is, one, no, I couldn't find any real meaning in any of them. And two, it's here today and gone tomorrow. Uh, and this is a grievous evil under the sun. Now, it would be very easy to take another path at this point, to take the conclusion of Ecclesiastes that life is absurd, that we look around and we do see, yes, Solomon, you are right. This life is hard. And I know that there's enough going on in this room that we could very easily admit from just what is present here that life is hard, that there are people who should be in this room who are not because death took them early. And it would be very easy to despair and to say, okay, the teacher's right. Life is hard. Death comes to all. We're going to be honest about pain, suffering, and death. And we're going to dress in black. And we're going to withdraw. And we're going to give up. That's another way we could approach the reality before us. That we could see that, yes, life is absurd but we could wrongly conclude that there is no hope. The teacher, even now, under the sun, finds that there is some hope. And we're going to see in the third point of the sermon that not only is there some ugly comfort under the sun, but there is a real and lasting joy that is presented before us that should color our life here and promises life to come. It's interesting that the teacher never gives up. He does make some stark, uh, heavy acknowledgments. And yet, he never says, you know, I've been around the block. I've tried all this. You know, just give up now. Don't even try. You know, it's not worth it. He doesn't say that. 
Uh, he comes maybe very close, and then he says something else. He says that there is some comfort in this life. Part of reality is seeing that, yes, there is grievous evil under the sun, and yet part of it is also seeing that there is good under the sun. Uh, God has not completely abandoned the world. Uh, And there's a key line in verse 7 where we find comfort. This is coming to our second point. God has already approved what you do. Another way to look at that is that God is in control. Now, on one hand, uh, that means we can't fight against things, and there is an absurdity about this life that we can't direct our own steps, that we can't decide uh, when we're going to be healthy, when we're going to be sick, when we're going to live, when we're going to die, when... Uh, we are going to be successful and when we are not. There's an absurdity there, but there's also a comfort in, as he said before, there is a time for everything. And God has already ordained what is to be. And so the teacher gives us comfort. It's not the comfort that we'd like. It's not shiny and made of plastic and... uh, not something you can just go to the store and buy. It is not a comfort that says all of that suffering, all of that vanity, all you have to do is take this, and it'll all be gone. Your life will be wonderful. Your life will be easy. Uh, No, there is no such thing under the sun. But this is the unexpected bit. The teacher tells us, enjoy life. And isn't this the complete opposite of almost everything that he's said? Hasn't he said there is no meaning in any of this? That there is no meaning in pleasure? There is no meaning in, in, uh, in love? There is no meaning in wisdom? He's almost said that. He said you can't find ultimate meaning in this. You can't find lasting meaning. But in our life under the sun, we can enjoy the good things God gives us. And if you were to look back at our reading earlier uh, that Greg read for us, Psalm 104, we find uh, some of the same things mentioned uh, in another text, that God makes things grow, and he brings forth food for us. He he gives us wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. We find this same comfort in uh, verses 7 through 10. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life, and there I think short life, No absurdity may be wrapped up in there, but all the days of the brief life God has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, in your toil in which you toil under the sun. In other words, that's part of life too. And this 
This can't be reduced down to, well, things are tough, so just, just relax a bit. It's more subtle and more deep than that. Another thing printed in the bulletin, uh, if you had a chance to read it, um, it's a, a quote by C.S. Lewis. And it's a wonderful analogy that I think draws on the same things that the, the teacher draws on. And that's this. Uh, life is expected by many people to give them everything they want. I think we see it very clearly here on the island of Oahu where people come to get away from problems and enjoy uh, the clo- one of the closest things, at least, to paradise on earth that you can get. And we see tourists all the time who are just downright grumpy and uh, very unhappy. Uh, and that should not be. It should be that the people coming here on vacation should be much happier than us. Uh, we've got jobs we have to go to. We, we have to keep working. They're here on vacation, and you'd think they would be just beside themselves with joy, and sometimes they are, but the reality is that it doesn't work. Um, so, too, if you go to Disneyland, it's amazing how many crying children there are on the thing that is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. Uh, and part of it's that. This is as good as we get. C.S. Lewis says this. Uh, if you look at this world, uh, there are two ways you can look at it. Half the people think it's a place for correction. Half the people think it's effectively a resort. Uh, Now, you'd think that the people who thought it was a resort would be having a wonderful time. And you'd think that the people who thought it was a prison would be grumbling and complaining all the time. But here's the deal. The people who think that life is a resort to cater to them are constantly disappointed. Why is my meal so small? And where's the lobster? Uh, And then you bring them the lobster and it's cold. I didn't pay for this. And then the weird thing happens where the leader says, all right, we're going to go all, we're all going to go out back and we're going to dig a ditch. Well, at this point, the people who think this is a resort are just livid, angry beyond belief. I'm here on vacation and I have to dig Life is a continual disappointment for someone like that. Now, on the other hand, the people who uh, think it's prison are like, what? Uh, We don't have to have a a neutral loaf. We actually get a hot cooked meal. This is great. Um, Thank you. And uh, at the end of digging, free time comes. Free time? Wait, we get free time? We're playing a movie? Who cares that the screen's too small? I don't know why these people are complaining so much. We get, we get to relax a bit. Um, if we think of this life as a life that is supposed to be for our comfort, for our uh, pleasure, we will be continually beat up. We will never understand what is going on. 
But on the other hand, if we're able to see clearly the way that uh, Solomon does, that the world is a mess, then the bread tastes pretty good. Wine, provided that we don't have some reason for staying away from it, recognizing that, wine is great. Uh, It's a good thing to sit down and have a, a meal with your wife or with your friends and and enjoy it. That's part of life, too. Uh, and it's not saying, again, that life's not so bad, just have a drink. No. It's saying life is hard, but there are good things here. And we, as Christians, are given license to enjoy it. We, as Christians, have a reason to celebrate in the creation that God has made and in the good things he gives us. Even Job, in his suffering, was able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He understood this, that you know, life isn't supposed to be always good all the time. I don't know what's going on, but the Lord's in control. And when we can say that, it doesn't mean that things won't hurt. It doesn't mean that we won't grieve. It doesn't mean that we won't get sick. It doesn't mean that we won't die. And yet... We expect that. We expect life to be hard, and we understand that there are good things and there are bad things in this life. We understand this is not a resort. Uh, This is life, and life is hard. And sometimes it really hurts, and sometimes the sun is shining, and you go to the beach, and it's wonderful. Uh, But when it's wonderful, it's not going to last. It'll be cloudy tomorrow and rain, and uh, it's going to get your favorite shirt wet, and uh, you're going to be driving to work, and a rock's going to crack your windshield, and you're going to have a bad day, and other bad things that are worse are going to happen, and we can be prepared for that. But this brings us to point three, where I completely just turn my eyes away from Ecclesiastes for a while, um, but with Ecclesiastes still in our memory. Comfort one is that, yes, there is joy in this life. It is God who created us. God gave us good gifts. There are good things in this world to enjoy. And yet, there are other comforts too. And, And I said turn my eyes away completely, maybe not completely, There is that comfort that we belong to God and that God is in control. That is a huge comfort. And a great catechism of the church written in 1563, years and years ago, uh, says this, question and answer number one of the Heidelberg Catechism, drawn from many scriptures. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At that point, we say only comfort? Aren't there other comforts? Well, in a way, but nothing lasting, nothing that won't be erased by that cloud of death and the absurdity of life. So I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid 
for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready to, from now on to live with him. So if comfort number one is that there are good things in this life and we as Christians have complete permission to enjoy them even in the midst of hardship, number two is that we belong to Christ. And wrapped up in this is the perfect antidote to absurdity, to vanity, and brevity. That all things work for the good of those who love God. This is a a quote from Romans 8, uh, which if you have the time today, uh, take a look at Romans 8, 18, uh, all the way on through the end of the chapter, at least verse 30. Uh, We've been touching on this over and over in these Ecclesiastes sermons because there's so much there that is comforting uh, as we look and take an honest, hard look at the the vanity of the world. Verse 28, and I quoted it almost verbatim, I'll do it now. And we know that in, all good thi- that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is an amazing comfort. Again, it doesn't take away the sting completely. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. But it means that when we hurt, when we grieve, when we see this absurdity, Whatever it is that troubles you or has troubled you or will trouble you is working for your good. First Peter uh, 1 says that though we suffer now for a little while, First uh, Peter 1, 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You have a couple things there. All this vanity, all this absurdity, for the Christian has been redeemed. It is working toward our good. Not only that, it is refining us. It is burning away the impurities and making us more like Jesus so that we are more ready for glory and so that Christ is glorified. Uh, You see that with Job. You see that his heart is worked on and that God is glorified. Job doesn't have any idea what's going on. We do. We read uh, Satan and God are talking. Satan says, I bet I can make Job renounce you. He only worships you because of the good things you give him. Give me a few hours with him. He'll be cursing you in a minute. Glory is brought to God through Job. Job never knows, at least to our knowledge, what took place. There are things that we'll never quite understand, but we can understand that they have a purpose, that they are working toward our good and toward our purification. And then, comfort number three, maybe the best comfort of them all, is that if I can uh, attempt uh, humbly to improve on C.S. Lewis's analogy, uh, 
that uh, life is a prison, uh, I'd say we can improve it a little bit by saying this. Life is a bus. Half the people have no idea why they're on this bus. And it's hot. And they're sweaty. And all they've got are uh, Mr. Pibb and uh, generic sodas. And there's no... It's not the good stuff. And uh, the TVs are really small. And these people are complaining and saying, what are we even doing here? Uh, and they're trying to grab all the soda they can because that's the only good pleasure they have. And they want this bus ride to keep going for some reason because uh, it's all they know. Now, the other half uh, have been told, you are on your way to Disneyland or whatever the best thing is. I like Disneyland. It's such an obvious best place on earth. Like, and the bus is still hot. The bus is still uh, unbearable at times. You still wish that you could get off this hot, loud, shaky bus where the seats are too small, where you know, the only refreshments are what you remembered to bring, uh, and you wish you would have packed some more granola bars. And, uh, and yeah, the, the screen is small, but yeah, at least we're watching something. That's kind of nice. Like, we could have gotten a bus with no little tiny TVs, and, uh, and it could be a lot worse. But what's the real comfort? Not that you're on the bus. And uh, the comfort is you're going somewhere. And for all of us in the Christian life, this is not it. Life under the sun is the bus ride to heaven. And in this life, there is going to be absurdity. There's going to be someone sitting in your seat crowding you. There's going to be uh, noise. You're going to wish that you could just lie down and sleep. There's going to be uh, times when you have to pull over because the bus broke and uh, have to stand around in the hot sun, but you have this comfort. Not only is it working to your good, not only can you enjoy the, the pleasures that God has given you in this life, but this life under the sun is just the shadow. This is not the real thing. These bodies are the shadow, and we will receive new heavenly bodies. The life we know now is a shadow of reality with Christ for all eternity when we will see Jesus face to face. When all the absurdity, or what seems like absurdity now, will be shown to us and we'll say, wow. What an amazing tapestry of my life and of the history of the world God has done. I never saw that coming. I never understood how that thing, where I was almost ready to despair, brought about that aspect of the tapestry of heaven. Brothers and sisters, we have that comfort. And if you don't have this comfort, then know that Jesus has promised that, Jesus, that, that he came to die so that you might live. And he says to you, cast all your cares upon me. He can take those burdens, and he can take that absurdity and give you strength now, knowledge that this life does matter, that it is going somewhere. And all will one day be made new if you turn to him, if you pray, Lord Jesus, I need you.
And for the rest of us, we know heaven waits for us. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as people who are weary, who are tired, who are beat up. Others of us are able to see the good, to enjoy it. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to ignore reality, not to fight against reality in a wrong kind of way, not to despair. But Lord, we pray that you would give us comfort in the good things of this life, in the fact that all things work to our good, and in the fact that this is not it, that we have a new heavens and new earth being prepared for us. Give us strength to endure and give us joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.